Hey everybody, Magnus here. Basically, got a little bit of administrivia that I need to go through here with you. Originally, this episode was actually going to be two separate episodes. I really wish that there was a, an interesting story behind that, but really, there's not. What I realized is that these two separate episodes actually do relate very closely with one another. And so I thought it might be kind of, well, I don't know about wise, but I thought it might be probably most effective to put these two things together as basically one episode is maybe the best way to put it. So I didn't really feel like jettisoning one episode or the other, putting them together seemed like the most logical the most logical thing to do. So that's what I've done. So what you're going to hear is actually two separate introductions for the same fucking episode. And for that, I apologize, but I'm really too lazy to re-record it. So I just want to go ahead and just toss this little disclaimer up front and let you know what's going on. So if you hear two introductions in here, well, there you go. That's why. So anyway, hopefully that all makes sense. Now enjoy the rest of the episode. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. This Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Ah! Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own magnet form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I'm feeling a little discouraged right now. People, I love comics, and specifically I love the DC Universe. DC Comics characters have been, and I think always will be, my first love in comics. And it's because of that that I haven't really followed these characters or collected DC Comics in a very long time. I am so disconnected from current goings-on with DC that... If it wasn't for Facebook, I could fairly well say I'd have no idea just what the fuck's going on at any given moment with DC Comics. It's just the truth. And, you know, I woke up today and I can't really say that there's any particular reason for it, but what I realized is that I miss being able to collect 
DC Comics. And I think the logical question to ask is, if you miss it so much, why don't you go back and start collecting DC again? I mean, those comics come out every month. Why? You can go out and you can you, you can buy Batman comics, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Superman. It's all there. So why don't you buy them? And I've talked uh, I've talked about it a little bit in the past, but for those of you who don't know. And I guess for those of you who just want to have sort of a one-stop place that you can go. A place where... All of... I, I guess all of the background for this. You know? All of the uh, nuances in the story, the twists and the turns of my collecting history, vis-a-vis DC Comics... All of it can be can be dropped into one episode, and anytime anybody asks, here you go. <sighs> My love of Superman runs deep. Very deep. I mean, I would hope that by this point, I don't have to prove my Superman fandom to anybody. I've never really bothered to count, but I would be shocked if the majority of the episodes I've recorded, by which I mean something like 51% or more, the majority of the episodes that I've recorded haven't been about Superman in some way or another. I shouldn't have to prove my Superman bona fides at this point, I would imagine, but just in case, I truly don't remember becoming a Superman fan. That's how far back my fandom goes. I know that I grew up watching the Christopher Reeve movies, but I truly don't remember the first time I saw any of them, except for Superman 4, which I saw in movie theaters. So I do clearly remember seeing that one for the first time. But Superman 1, 2, and 3? Not so much. I truly don't remember the first time I actually watched those. And, at least back in the 80s, liking comic book characters usually meant buying comics. Now, God knows that's changed these days. God forbid anybody buys a fucking comic book anymore, but that's just the way that things were back then. To be a Superman fan meant buying at least the occasional comic book. To be a Spider-Man fan, same thing. You buy at least the occasional comic book. Batman, all of them. And honestly, this whole recent trend of being able to call yourself a fan without ever without ever holding one of the comics. I, guys, look, call it elitist all you want. You know, I'll wear that badge. But you don't get to call yourself a fan of these characters if you're, if you're not interested in the comics. It's just as simple as that. You know, you can, you can love Batman or say you love Batman all you want. But... I'm sorry if all you, if your Batman acumen consists of the three uh, Chris Nolan movies, a couple of episodes of Batman the Animated Series, and maybe a few other live action or animated things, you know what, whatever. You're not a fucking Batman fan, dude. You got no cred with me. All right? So, but whatever. 
Anyway, this all meant, you know, being a Superman fan, this all meant that you would pick up at least the occasional comic book. And being as I was six years old, I would hope I don't have to explain why I didn't have this huge, vast comic book collection. Nobody has a vast comic book collection when he's six years old, okay? So... So, like I say, my, my love of Superman carried me through at least, let me think, uh, I would say I was eight years old, you know? And then after that, my fandom sort of expanded from there. I, would, I started buying more comics, but more than that, I also saw, for the very first time, on June the 23rd, 1989, the very first Tim Burton Batman film. And... It was... I See, I don't want to call it a breath of fresh air because that almost sounds like I was kind of stuck in this rut with Superman and I was just sick of him and all of that stuff. I don't mean it like that. I mean it more from the angle that Batman, especially back then, was so different from Superman that it didn't... This wasn't just, you know, more of the same. Batman is a very different character from Superman. He's motivated by... Um, one might say a different ideology. He's he he uses different methods. His backstory is different, and his mission ultimately, I think, is different. And I was very captivated by that. I thought this was an incredible character, and I couldn't believe that I'd gone my whole life up to that point without ever really understanding Batman's awesomeness. And so he was added into, I guess, my gallery of comic book superhero fandom, right? It was pretty small at the time. It was pretty much just Superman, but one must start somewhere, I suppose. So it wasn't, I don't know, it was probably uh, about a year after uh, the Tim Burton Batman movie came out that I actually started collecting comics. Not just Batman, you understand. I was collecting Superman in a big, bad way. I was collecting Batman. I was following the story. And it was also right around then that The Flash TV show with John Wesley Shipp started up. And I tried like hell to get into the comics, but I'll be honest with you, I don't think The Flash TV show from the 90s, I don't think that debuted at a very convenient time in The Flash's history. I mean, the TV show was about Barry Allen. The comic was about Wally West, which was a little bit of a hurdle for me to overcome, especially at the time. But not only that, it was a Wally West comic that was written by Bill Mesner Lobes. Now, it's not usually my business to shit-talk comic book creators on this podcast, and so I don't want it to come off like I'm shitting on Bill Mesner Lobes, because I'm not. But at the same time, I just don't think he was a good match for Wally West. And so... That that sort of, I guess, embryonic fan uh, fandom I was developing for The Flash, it kind of withered on the vine. I just didn't get into the Bill uh, Messner Loeb's run of The Flash. but and, and to this day, I still don't. But my problem was at the time, I didn't understand that it's not that I don't like Wally. It's that I don't like Bill Messner Loeb's writing Wally, which is a completely different thing. So it, it it took some time, is what I'm saying, to, to get into The Flash. So 
basically I would have to circle back to that one later on. I didn't know that at the time, but I figured this just isn't for me. And later I learned that actually it is for me. It's Bill Messner lobes. That's not for me. So, but do you see a pattern here yet? I would, something about a, a superhero character would catch my eye. It could be a TV show or movie or just whatever else. And then I'd at least give the comic books a, a, a day in court. And so what I discovered is that some of them are good, some of them are not, but these characters are myth. The Flash is myth. Batman, Superman, they're all myth. And I don't think I could have articulated that very well at the time, but the reason that I think I'm always going to prefer DC to Marvel, it's not because DC is the world right outside my, my window, because explicitly they're not, or at least they weren't. Marvel is. Marvel is basically taking place in the real world, and you could fairly well view Marvel as being sort of sci-fi maybe is the best way to put it. And it's ostensibly our real world, but with superheroes included. And I don't mean that in this pretentious bullshit Watchmen kind of way. I mean, it's still, it's still fiction. And I, and I, basically I'm trying to find a way to not use the word fantasy in reference to Marvel, but it's, it's, it's just, it's realistic, I suppose, and it's it's grounded in some sort of reality that I think we'd all probably recognize, but it's not as, like I say, it's just not the kind of pretentious reality of Watchmen, for example. So that's fine. DC, though, is more of, where, where Marvel is science fiction, DC is science fantasy. They, these characters, they live in these fictional cities, these enchanted kingdoms, one might say, and they all have their own sort of individual identities. Metropolis is not interchangeable with Gotham City. Gotham City is not interchangeable with, I don't know, Opal City. Opal City is not interchangeable with Keystone City, etc., etc., etc. And as much as anything, like, I think that when DC Comics are at their best, it's almost like the city in which all of these stories take place. It's almost like the city is a character unto itself. Whereas in the Marvel Universe, everything is fucking New York. And look, that either works for you or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I mean, I'm, well, I can't criticize you because I'm right there with you, actually. It just... It works well enough, I guess, in the Marvel Universe. It's just something that I've never really appreciated all that much your actual mileage may vary. Now, as I got older, my acumen for DC Comics expanded. Like I say, it started off with Superman movies, then it became Superman comics, then it became, or it's not that it became, it included Batman films and Batman, the Adam West TV show. Then it included Batman comics and with Batman comics especially because of the fact that everything was so new to me Batman's entire world was new to me I really appreciated the myth of Batman and his world you know where 
Maybe a good example is Two-Face, right? Where we have this implied history of friendship between Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent. But then one day, Harvey Dent gets scarred by the acid. He becomes Two-Face. And then after that, it's a shitstorm. That's just one example. Or Dick Grayson's parents being murdered at the circus. And of course, Bruce is going to see a little bit of himself in all of that. Things like that. And ultimately, those are the types of things that I really cherish about DC Comics. The myth of it all. You know? And... Whether it's pre-crisis, which I think is arguably DC at its best, or it's post-crisis, which is maybe certain characters, like individual characters at their best. DC Comics is always going to be my fanboy home. That's, at this point, that's probably going to be irreversible, I would think. And as I say, nothing would please me more than to be able to go back to following these stories, buying these, these comics, investing in these characters, um, absorbing their histories. But the older I get, the more I feel like, you know, DC just doesn't want my business. Now, I know a fair number of you enjoy the New 52 or whatever the fuck DC calls themselves in their universe these days. I know some of you enjoy it, so I don't want you to feel like I'm criticizing you, because I'm not. I'm criticizing DC's publishing decisions. All right? When... I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to put a thumbtack in the map and say, this is where it all started. It's kind of hard to do that. But, you know, as I went along through through my collecting and my just enjoyment of these characters that it ultimately came to include basically everybody. I mean, Superman, Batman, The Flash, Green Lantern, etc., 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 right? And no, it wasn't perfect, but it was all still enjoyable, you know? And like I say, it's hard to pinpoint an exact time when all that changed, but I remember the first time I can really f- remember feeling... I don't know, just different about it all. You know, like something has changed here. Some, like some kind of a change has occurred. It's probably around 2007 where Superman stopped being Superman, at least as I'd always known him. And instead he became the character from Superman the movie. Now, there's nothing wrong with Superman the movie in and of itself. To me, that's just one interpretation of this character, but it was probably starting in 2007 that, I'm not saying it started in 2007, you understand, I'm just saying it was in 2007 that I started noticing that, you know what, Superman the fucking movie is really starting to define Superman in ways that I just don't think are appropriate at all. I mean, like I say, it's a good movie, I enjoy it, and you can't argue that it's not a classic, but... You can't argue that it's perfect either. Or for that matter, there are, at certain points in that movie, you can't even argue that it's even all that good. But there came a point when Superman the movie 
instead of instead of uh, adapting being regarded as an adaptation of Superman it started being treated like it was Superman's gospel this is the definitive version of this character at least according to some some people in the fan base now I've never been willing to sign my name to that but I'll be honest with you, it really did create a lot of hostility at the time that, you know, there is more to this character than just one movie, but it was like I was the only one in the room who was willing to say so. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, it kind of alienated me from a, from a lot of people in the, in the fan base, and I don't think it's gotten any better. And my God's honest opinion is, look, dude, if you love Superman the movie, you just got a major boner for that movie, that's fine. Don't fucking call yourself a Superman fan. You're not a Superman fan. You're a Superman the movie fan. That's not the same thing. Alright? And I've never been a fan of this concept of wanting to drag the movie version of a character into the comics. I mean, I might be willing to tolerate that if it somehow resulted in higher comic sales, but it doesn't. I mean, the fucking moviegoers, they buy tickets, they'll They'll buy lunch boxes. They'll buy uh, action figures. You know, but God fucking forbid that they ever pick up a comic book, okay? And I just say, fuck you to those people, you know? I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that they're here because they're obviously keeping this uh, superhero cinema thing, that this golden age that we're living in. They're the ones that are keeping it going. But at the same time, it's like the comic, the comic book companies just don't seem to fucking recognize that. You know, these Johnny-come-latelys that don't even buy the goddamn comics. All of a sudden, everything has to be all about them. You know? Well, we want the people who are buying the movie tickets. We want them to buy the comics, too. But motherfucker, they're not. They're not buying the comics. Right? And it's... I'm just sick of them. Basically, they're the ones that are always being catered to. And it just, it just fucking pisses me off. And this was... Like I say, I mean... There's nothing really magical about 2007, except that was the time that I really started noticing it. At least with Superman. And... Now, up to that point, I guess the de facto origin for Superman was Birthright. Now, people can love that, or they can hate that, or, or whatever. But that was... Up until, like, 2006, that was the editorial policy at the time. And I've never really been a big fan of that decision either, but... What do I know? What I do know for sure, though, is... 2007 is when Superman in the comics recognizably started becoming more and more like Superman the movie. That version of the character. You know, um, that iconography. That, uh, you know, that version of the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, that type of... Uh, Kryptonian fashion, you know, things like that, and I've never, like I say, I've never really been all that comfortable with, with dragging the movie version of a character into a comic. I might, like I say, I might be willing to tolerate that in some cases, if that truly does result in higher comic book sales, but number one, like I say, it doesn't, and number two, I think that does a disservice to Superman. You know, I always have. And so this is yet one more thing 
that alienates me from a character that, by all rights, I should still have been collecting, you know? And I guess, I mean, I d don't get me wrong, not all of those stories are bad and everything, but it's, like I say, it's just one more degree of separation between me and my favorite character in all of fiction, and that's a problem. But... As time wore on, it became less and less that the comics were tipping their hat to Superman the movie, and like I say, becoming demonstrably more Superman the movie. And it just became less and less and less of a comfortable fit as time, as time wore on. And other people have criticized Gary Frankenstein and uh, his creepy, weird obsession with drawing Superman to resemble Christopher Reeve and everything, and there's really not a whole lot that I can add to that, so I'm not going to. But just be advised that that's pretty much the way I felt about it, too. It's just like zombie comics or something. It's just fucking weird. Batman, by around 2007, he really hadn't been the same for me for years by that point. So, again, it was just one more degree of separation between me in DC Comics. The Flash? Well, Wally West was well on his way out the door by that point. Green Lantern? Kyle Rayner had been uh, replaced by Hal Jordan, and ultimately, I mean, I don't... There is a way to tell that story in a way that, um, that doesn't damage Kyle, and I think that DC found it, but it was just, you know, between this strange obsession that DC had with its own past, not to mention just completely ro you know, ruining, in a lot of ways, Batman for me. It just kind of felt like Kyle Rayner becoming, rather than the Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner becoming a Green Lantern. I mean, that was almost the straw that broke the camel's back, you know? And... It was just yet another instance of DC trying to, I don't know, cash in on people's nostalgia or maybe some editor wanting to make things the way they were when he was collecting comics because damn it, that's the way the DC universe is supposed to be, you know? And I don't, look, I truly don't, I, I really don't know, but it was, it was right around here that I became very resentful of, of what DC Comics was doing with these characters. And that's not to say that it was all bad. I mean, I would never make that argument. There was there were a lot of good things that were coming out at the time, like Secret Six, for example. Great fucking uh, comic there. Or, you know what, what, a, what I've read of Jonah Hex? Great comics, you know? But I'm just saying that what I would consider to be the franchise of the DC Universe it was it was as though DC was determined to fuck up everything that made them awesome. Now, I realize I'm kind of the lone voice in the wilderness on this one, but I'm of the opinion that Crisis on Infinite Earths is very probably the greatest comic book story that's ever been written. The story itself is awesome, but the aftermath of Crisis... I just don't know if it's worth it, you know? I really don't. I don't think that what Crisis on Infinite Earths left us with is a better product than the pre-Crisis DC Universe. I mean, Crisis on Infinite Earths 
definitely worked to benefit Superman. I would never say otherwise. But it really screwed up the rest of the DC universe, you know? I mean, continuity for Green Lantern, for Batman, to some degree Wonder Woman, God knows for Hawkman, and definitely The Flash, it was just really fucked up. And, yeah, like I say, I mean, it worked great for Superman, who got a Scorched Earth page one reboot out of it, but the other characters, the other teams of the DC Universe, the other characters in the DC Universe, I don't think Crisis on Infinite Earths benefited them, you know? And I'm, a, I'm very much to the point now where I kind of wish Crisis on Infinite Earths had never happened. Because apart from the fact that it just completely fucked up DC's continuity, bad enough that that happened. The tone of the stories that DC was telling changed. And it became less of a science fairy tale type of universe, and I hate to say Marvelized the DC universe, but in a weird, fucked up kind of way. Yeah, it did, you know? DC basically sacrificed one of the things that made them unique in the marketplace, just so that they can be Marvel, but less so, you know? And I don't like that. I mean, DC doesn't need to chase Marvel. DC can be DC, and Marvel can be Marvel. And I don't understand why one of them would want to be more like the other. But then I, I, I speak as a fan, as opposed to a publisher whose job depends on selling shitloads and shitloads of comics. So, I don't know. Maybe that's easy for me to say. But... I, I just think that the long-term legacy of Crisis on Infinite Earth, I just don't think it was worth it. I really don't. And it felt like so much of what was going wrong with not just Superman, but really all of DC's superhero publishing line, you could in some way or another trace back to Crisis. You know, directly or, or indirectly. You know, a lot of this stuff would not have happened but for crisis, you know? Now, you could just as well argue, you know, a lot of that stuff wouldn't have happened but for zero hour, or wouldn't have happened but for infinite crisis. And you know what? You may even be right about that, but it just kind of felt like Crisis on Infinite Earths was the first time that DC explicitly set out to modify continuity. And what they took from all of that was that not only can we modify continuity, we can also change the tone of this universe. We can change the types of stories that we're telling following a huge mega crossover event. And so, again, I'm not trying to bash on Crisis on, an, on uh, Infinite Earths because there are people out there, and I count myself among them, who consider Crisis on Infinite Earths to be the greatest comic book story that's ever been told. But what people... what. I guess DC, as a publishing entity, what they took from Crisis, it's just all the wrong things, in my opinion. So, all of this is a way of, to sort of, you know, lead into goings-on with uh, the new 52. Now, I was not, as I say, I was just not really all that big a fan of the post-Infinite Crisis DC Universe, you know, because it really felt like Infinite Crisis, it didn't really change that much other than Superman. I mean, I think that you could fairly well say that, you know, Crisis and Infinite Earths, it worked to benefit Superman, 
but it didn't affect only Superman. But Infinite Crisis, I mean, it's been a long time since I've read it, but off the top of my head, I'm at a severe loss to think of anybody else, except maybe the JSA. But I'm at a loss to think of anyone else apart from Superman and, like I say, possibly the JSA, who were really affected by Infinite Crisis. You know, it didn't... Look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just for, uh, forgetting something. I don't know. But that's just the way that my memory on this is going. But all of this is a way of leading into 2011 and then the announcement of the new 52. Now, to kind of put it all back in context, for those of you who may not really remember, Superman hadn't really been a fixture of his own fucking titles in, I think, two years or something like that by that point. And by the time that whole fucking new Krypton story ended, he then decided he needed to go walking across America. Because God knows... When I think of Superman stories, just amazing, epic Superman stories, I think of him walking around. <laughs> it's strange. You know, J. J. Michael uh, Straczynski can tell decent Superman stories. Not great, but decent Superman stories in Earth One. But somehow, the minute you put him on monthly Superman, it's just s sucky bullshit. Anyway, so my view when rumors and then announcements concerning the new 52 started making the rounds my god's honest opinion was there's really no way that at least superman can be worse than he has been for the last four years ha 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 the new 52 got underway and what i at least interpreted from all of this Reboot, not reboot, retcon, reinvention, reimagining, just spineless fucking bullshit way DC found of doing the new 52. Once again, seemed like it most clearly affected Superman. Because we're not going to fuck around with Batman. That's selling, so we need to leave that alone. We're not going to fuck around with Green Lantern. That's selling, so we're going to leave that alone. The Flash, same thing, but Superman, hey, fuck him. So, what the fuck is going on with Superman's continuity? That was really the question that I had. Fucking no one seemed to want to answer it. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to invest two goddamn years of my life just so DC can figure out what direction they want to go with the reboot that they should have worked out way the fuck ahead of time. Okay? That's just the way I feel about it. I'm sorry, guys. Life's too short. You know? I don't want to pick up an issue of Swamp Thing num number one and included therein is a cameo appearance by a Superman that I've never seen before whose continuity apparently is yet to be determined who indicates that he's died at some point in the past I'm sorry that's not cool you know reboot or don't reboot but I'm sick of fucking retcons you know you know people say that they're sick of reboots and you know what guys show me one show me a Superman reboot because I can't think of one offhand you know, um, apart from John Byrne's Man of Steel back in 1986, Superman's never been rebooted. He's gotten the shit retconned out of him, but he's never been rebooted. And don't mention Birthright, because that wasn't... Mark Wade did not create that story to serve as the new beginning for Superman. That's not a reboot. And even if it was, it still wouldn't matter, because it's not a reboot anyway. It's a retcon. DC used it as a retcon. Secret Origin? That's not a reboot. That's a retcon. 
and whatever fucking bullshit story that Grant Morrison came up with in Action Comics, once again, retcon, because we still don't know where this Superman's coming from, and apparently certain things from the pre-New 52 universe, like Superman fucking dying, for example, those things are all still, still in continuity. So, no, whatever it was that Grant Morrison did, the Grant Morrison origin, that's not a reboot either. That's another fucking retcon. So what about Superman Earth-1? Not a reboot, that's a separate universe. On and on and on. Superman's only had one reboot. It was in 1986, it was written and drawn by John Byrne. That's the only uh, reboot that Superman's ever had. And I'm fine with that, but you know, the thing is, I'm sick of retcons. I'm sick to fuck of DC not knowing what the fuck they wanna do and resetting certain things, but not resetting other things. Reboot or don't reboot. But enough with the goddamn retcons, DC. So, my point in all of this is to say that I wish that I could go out to the comic book store right now, go to my LCS, and pick up the new issue of Superman. And then I could, I, I could love it, you know? And it's not going to get fucked with six months from now just because somebody's too lazy to read some goddamn back issues and get brought up to speed on, on the story and where things stand with this character. You know? But even if the stories were enjoyable, and they don't look like they are, why should I invest in this when six months from now somebody's just going to reimagine the character and take them in a completely different direction and everything that I think I know about this character, everything is on the table. Why should I do that? You know, Dan DiDio made a promise that DC is never going to reboot their universe again. Number one, I I, I, I hope he's wrong, you know? I want them to reboot. They've never rebooted. They've retconned the fuck out of their universe. They have never, ever done a full scale page one Scorched Earth reboot. They did that with Superman, but not with the universe at large. It's never been attempted. So to say that they've never that they're never gonna do it again, motherfucker, you've never done it once. You know, and say whatever you want about the ultimate Marvel universe, you know, you can love it or you can hate it. That universe has a defined beginning point. Ultimate Spider-Man number one introduces this universe. And yeah, you know, they had to hammer out a few dings with the continuity, you know, just what the fuck does Nick Fury in that universe look like? And who is uh, Patsy Walker in that universe? What does she look like? But apart from superficial stuff like that, and maybe the occasional non, non-canon thing, the Ultimate Marvel Universe, it's a hermetically sealed and fairly internally consistent separate universe from uh, the 616 Marvel Universe. And, or it was, anyway. And... My point, though, is that that universe had a defined beginning Ultimate Spider-Man number one. Don't need to go any further than that. Everything starts there. And I would love for DC to have something like that. And what I've come to understand is that there's continuity, which is its own problem. But then there's also tone, style. I guess, context for these stories to take place. And th- and that's a, a completely separate problem. And DC's suffering from both. They've got massive fucking continuity problems, 
But also, their version of these characters, the foundation from which these characters proceed, and the types of stories that DC is telling with these characters, just fucking suck. I don't need to see a full-grown Superman without a secret identity, running around in a fucking t-shirt, and looking like Max Damage from the Irredeemable comic book. I don't need to see that. You know, that's not Superman. And I know that saying that irritates some people, and I'm sorry for that, but fucking that's not Superman. That's never been Superman, you know? And I guess what I want is a DC universe that has a beginning point, a fucking beginning point, a clear one, and it gives me versions of these characters that I recognize and that anyone can look at and say, you know what, that's Superman, or that's Green Lantern that's the flash or that's batman or whatever you know whoever the character is you know and what i've come to realize and the thing about it that just pisses me off to this day is the virtual certainty that i'm probably never going to have that again maybe ever but certainly not anytime soon you know i mean it may take you know jim lee jeff johns and dan fucking didio leaving dc before it finally happens. I don't know. And when you come right down to it, Jim Lee isn't that much older than I am. So he's going to be around probably for the rest of my life or very close to it. So bully for me. I guess what I, what I really want is I want my comics back. You know? I want my characters back. I want to be able to go to the LCS and enjoy the stories that are that are being told about these characters. I want the comic book version of these characters. I don't want somebody twisting and, and shaping the movie version and hoping I don't notice. I just want comics to be fun. I want to read a Superman comic that I feel comfortable giving to a child and saying, hey, this is comics. This is Superman. Enjoy. And that's why it is that when news came down the pipeline, there was this rumor, and it was at the time that you guys are hearing this, it, this was a pretty long time ago, but there, there came a rumor that, um, actually a report, this is, it's not really a rumor, it's actually confirmed, that DC, um, they basically fell $2 million short of the revenue that they were expecting for uh, a given month during uh, 2015. I want to say it was like June or July or something like that, 2015. And, you know, the way I look at it is good. You know, um, if that's what it takes for them to realize that, you know what, fans don't like where you're taking these stories, try something different, that's fine. And honestly, if DC just ceases publication there are no more new comics coming out I don't really see that as too big a loss because I haven't recognized just who the fuck these characters are in very close to a decade by this point so it's it's really no threat to say that you know these characters are going to go away or these comics have gone away because motherfucker from my standpoint they went away nearly a decade ago so I don't really feel like that's very much of a threat at all. Maybe this is what it's going to take. 
you know? Maybe DC is going to have to declare bankruptcy or something before they finally realize what we're doing isn't clicking with people for whatever reason. And and you know what? Maybe even then, maybe that's not going to be enough. Maybe they're just going to have to fucking go out of business. I don't know. Um, maybe what they're going to... Maybe what's going to have to happen is uh, DC, as a comic book publishing unit, is going to have to get sold to some other company. I I hope it's not Marvel. I mean, number one, I don't I I, I don't think that I, I think never the twain shall meet. But I just don't think that the 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 powers that be at Marvel, I don't think they would understand what makes the DC universe work. So I wouldn't want to see that. You know, but th- maybe there's some other. Uh, publishing company out there that can that, that can buy DC Comics and do something worthwhile with these characters. I don't know, but I mean, if I've learned nothing else, it's that Jeff Johns, Jim Lee, and Dan DiDio are not the people who need to be leading this company. It's no more complicated than that. I don't know if it's that they don't understand who some of these characters are, or they just don't like those characters, or what... But it's, to me at this point, it's pretty much undeniable that they certainly are not capable of publishing stories about all of their characters that a sufficient number of comic book collectors and, yes, potential new readers are interested in buying. Nobody's ever going to convince me otherwise at this point. And you know what? It may be that being as DC is is, uh, the is really a Time Warner company. Maybe Time Warner just doesn't care. Maybe they don't, as long as they can keep turning out material that can be licensed and turned into movies and cartoon shows and lunchboxes and all this stuff, maybe they don't care. Maybe maybe it's that Dan DiDio, Jim Lee, and Jeff Johns have the greatest job security in the entire fucking world because as long as the movies keep making money, they'll always have jobs. And how sad is that? You know, you can fail so fucking bad at your job that every day you show up and you're making hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars, and it's okay. You know, what a cush gig that's got to be. I don't know, but it's just, it's really fucking depressing to me. And that's why I haven't really, I don't think I've talked about on this show very many comics published after about 2006, 2007. And yeah, I mean, yeah, there have been a few. Um, the Earth One uh, comics, for example. I mean, I've, you know, obviously those were published after all of this bullshit started, well after 2011. But I don't know. It's that's. If any of you were ever curious why it is that I just tend to avoid, you know, newer stuff. That's why. And I want you guys to understand that this isn't something that I take pleasure in, you know. Don't you think that I would love to be able uh, to be able to go to my LCS and buy new Superman comics or buy new Batman comics or the new Justice League comic? I'd love to be able to do that, you know. But it just feels to me that DC doesn't want my business. Whatever it is that I'm looking for from from these characters, that's not what DC's interested in publishing anymore. And I can't help but think that. So much of this, it, it, it overlaps with Paul Levitz stepping down as publisher. I don't know. But 
All I know for sure is that I would love to have my characters back. I'd love to have my my comics back, but at this point, I just don't know that it's ever going to happen. And that's why so much of Trinus Magnus Punch's reality has been centered on back issues. Or basically anything except the new stuff. It's because I don't like the new stuff. I think the new stuff is shit. I think the new stuff is oftentimes it's inappropriate for young children to read. You know? And it just breaks my heart that something that should be so simple to get right, they routinely get it wrong. I mean, say whatever you want about Marvel, but they're, they tend to be very committed to making, a, I think, a quality product. Now, other people may have different opinions about that, and fine. But most of the time, I think Marvel, they at least try to err on the side of telling good stories about recognizably Marvel types of characters. And I just don't feel like that's true of DC anymore, and it hasn't been for a very long time now. So, for those of you who are ever curious about why it is that I never seem to ever talk about newer comic, uh, newer DC comic book material, well, this is why. So, to me, DC is clearly the better and more interesting comic book universe than Marvel. And for some reason, DC is just ashamed of that fact. They can spin whatever bullshit to the contrary that they want, but that's just my God's honest opinion about it at this point. So, I don't know. You can only get bitten in the ass so many times before it's your fault for letting it happen. And I am many things. I am not a masochist. So, there you have it. Now, I truly have no idea when this episode is coming out, so I can't really tell you what next week's episode is going to be about, but I'm sure it's going to be about something or other, so I think that's pretty much it for me this week. Bye, everybody. I will see you next week. podcasts about religion, you probably think of this. But at least one religion podcast sounds more like this. I kick ass for the Lord! Dorkness to Light is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books, because we're nerds. Our primary focus will be on Christianity, because that's what we know best. But all religious content is on the table. Well, think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism. This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history. Because we're theological nerds. If these topics interest you, check out Dorkness to Light 
www.blogspot.com for our more regular content. Or darknesstolight.tumblr.com for our more irregular content. Memes and puns, mostly. My bad. Darkness to Light. Often irreverent, rarely sacrilegious. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. I'm your host, Magnus, and normally what I do is I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. And when I say that, what I mean is that I talk about comic books, or films, or television series. I usually don't talk about, I guess, the business aspect of this, you know, the behind-the-scenes bullshit, because number one... A bunch of podcasts out there do that very thing. And I guess number two, you know, it's just the older I get, the less about that kind of behind-the-scenes insider stuff I want to know, you know? It's it's just not something that I'm as preoccupied with as I was back in the days of my youth. I can't speak for everybody, but that's where I'm coming from. And... One of the things I've noticed is that if it, if at any time a podcaster talks about a subject he just doesn't give a damn about, he cannot hide that from his listeners. They're going to know that he's not truly engaged in this. And so that's really one of the main reasons that I haven't talked about this, because like I say, I wouldn't care about it, and on some subconscious level... You guys would detect that, and then you'd tune out. Maybe permanently. So, there's really nothing in it for me to talk about something that I don't truly care about. And I don't think too much has really changed in all of that. It's just that the way that it is right now, there is some behind-the-scenes bullshit that's going on that I do kind of want to talk about. And so, basically, I just this very moment read a report from Bleeding Cool that basically indicates... I'm just going to read you the, the thing and you can decide for yourself. It says, Bleeding Cool has run a number of stories about uh, upcoming changes expected after the publication of issue 52s of the remaining new 52 launch titles from five years ago. And it seems like it's in, it's just in time to do the new 52 relaunch all over again in June. Bleeding Cool broke the story on a spate of name change relaunches and certain books going bi-weekly at DC Comics this summer, but it seems this is only a part of it. I understand that a top-down change has filtered through the publisher, which will see another relaunch for DC Comics, with everything getting a new number one in June. Those that survive, that is. And... The new line, even more dominated with Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Harley Quinn slash Suicide Squad related titles. Anything tying in with a film and or TV show like Flash, Green Arrow, will be okay. Anything that's not, is less so. I haven't heard about Green Lantern. 
But yes, this will mean another big issue, number one, relaunch. Could this be all new, all different, a bit like the TV shows DC Comics? Developing. So that's sort of the background for all of this. And look, I would not be the first person to observe the fact that Hollywood, not Hollywood, that the publishing industry is becoming more and more dominated by goings-on in Hollywood all the time. Comics are stop. Uh, they're getting to the point where they're not really their own unique thing anymore. They're just an extension of whatever's happening in a TV show or whatever's happening in a movie or anything like that. And the thinking behind all of this seems to be that the fans of the movies are going to more easily transition from movie to comic when movie and comic are very similar to one another. Now, on the one hand... I can't really fault that logic too much because of the fact that, well, let's just take the summer of 2008 as an example, right? During the summer of 2008, Warner Brothers released The Dark Knight. And it stands to reason that for as popular and successful and well-regarded as The Dark Knight was, at least a few people had to pick up a Batman comic as a direct result. And had they done so, they would have picked up a, a comic book starring Dick Grayson as Batman. And on top of all of that, Bruce Wayne's son, about whom they know nothing, is Robin. And I think it would be a very logical question for them to ask, just what the fuck is going on? And... It might even be such a, a an egregious case of what the fuck is going on that they may not pick up future issues. That is certainly a possibility, right? Now, since I'm using Batman as an example, I'm just going to go the, the whole nine with it and say that I started really investing myself in Batman comics starting in the summer and then the fall of 1990, right? And I watched the, the 1989 Tim Burton Batman film. I'd watched that a bunch of times. I loved it. I, to this day, actually, I, I, uh, I still think that's a really fun and entertaining Batman movie. And it definitely got me into Batman in a way that I just hadn't been up to that point. And so I started checking out the comics eventually. And one of the things I noticed is that, you know there's a kind of difference in tone between the comics and the movie. Now, it stands to reason that the stories are going to be very different from one another, and God knows I was not disappointed on that. I went into that pretty much with my eyes open. But I noticed that the, the world of the comics just seemed more nuanced and textured and fleshed out. There was this vast Batman mythos that had gone on in the comics that the movie at best only hinted at, you know? And to me, it's, it just seemed obvious to the point of being self-evident that the comics format was actually the superior way to showcase this character. I believed it then, and I believe it now. And after spending a few months collecting Batman titles, what I came to realize is the movie might have been a decent primer, but I wouldn't... I really would not have wanted, and I speak here as a, as a new reader, I would not have wanted 
the movie universe to take over the comic universe, you know? To me, it seemed logical that comics should be comics, movies should be movies. And, again, I, I mean, I remember there was minor controversy about that, that when people went to pick up uh, Batman comics, Batman's outfit was gray and blue as opposed to being all black. And that was a source of controversy at the time. And then there were some other differences too, you know? But the point is, it just seemed to be a matter of, I guess, standard operating procedure that the the movie universe and the comics universe, they were going to be different from one another. And I would say that the sort of implicit takeaway from all of that is that they would both be better for it. The comics would be better for being allowed to be comics as opposed to being forced to fit into whatever Tim Burton is doing or whatever Joel Schumacher is doing, et cetera, et cetera. And there came a point when that the thinking about all of that really began to change and damned if I could tell you when, but all at once, the comics had to become more and more and more a direct reflection of the same type of film going experience that people had enjoyed, presumably when they went to the movies. And that thinking, number one is incredibly fucking wrong headed but that thinking has become so ingrained. This is so conventional wisdom now that it really does a border on being just inescapable at this point, you know? And in relation to that, here we've got a report about the DC universe, or what's left of it, basically becoming a sort of a dumping ground for Hollywood. Now look, I get it. The comic book industry has changed. And it's changed drastically as it was compared to my comic book collecting heyday. You know, when I was a kid and I was buying all of these titles and I was just loving it. The market now is different than what it was then, right? Circulation, fundamentally, is lower now than it was before. And so the thinking goes that we can do business as usual, but it just needs to be more like the movies, or it needs to be more like the TV show, or whatever. And ultimately, what you guys listening to this, what you need to understand, what you need to accept, is that the comic book industry is not controlled and governed by businessmen. I know that all of you have assumed that it is your whole lives. It is not. It, if it ever was, it hasn't been for quite some time. The comic book industry has primarily been controlled by really three different groups of people. Comic book writers, comic book artists, financial investors. Predominantly, those are the three groups of people who have exerted the most influence over the comic book industry. There have been very few occasions, at least that I'm aware of, where a comic book publisher has thrown open its doors being managed by somebody who's an actual businessman. Usually it's managed by somebody who's more of a, a, of a creative type, you know? If you look at the music industry, 
that is managed by businessmen. If you look at Hollywood, it's managed by businessmen. If you look at the TV industry, it's managed by businessmen. Literally everything else in the fucking world in terms of creative storytelling or any kind of uh, artistic expression is managed by businessmen. Everything. Only comics, for some weird fucked up reason, are managed by the talent, you know? And what we're seeing are results that I think are actually very much commensurate with being managed by the talent, you know? So, in case I'm not being clear here, I guess sort of the first phase of all of this, of of all of these remarks and stuff that I'm making here, the people who enjoy TV shows and movies and all of that stuff, they don't buy comics. And I'm actually to the point where I don't think it's accurate at all to call them comic book fans because they're not. All right. Just because of the fact that you like a TV show or you like a movie franchise, that doesn't mean you get to call yourself a fucking comic book fan. You're a fan of a, uh, of a TV show or you're a fan of a movie franchise. Own it. But don't, don't sit here and tell me that you're a fan of the comics when you don't even know who Denny O'Neill is. Asshole. So that's just my, my, my reference point on it. Those people do not buy comics. Okay? The one or two exceptions to the rule prove the rule. I would say it's got to be the one in a million who buys a movie ticket and then, because of having bought the movie ticket, turns right around and buys a comic. It's, it's got to be one in a million. Maybe even higher than that. Maybe one in ten million. Who the hell knows? It's just not that common, you know? So trying to chase this, this non-existent fucking imaginary market... I'm sorry, guys, that's just not going to work, period, end of, dis- uh, in, in, end of discussion, okay? The comic book industry is going to fucking kill itself trying to pursue this bullshit, unworkable business model. Those people do fucking not buy comics, period. Next. As I say, the comic book industry has changed. Circulation is down. And based on the data to which we have access, it looks like there's no easy and consistent way of getting those numbers back up on a reliable basis. And yet, the comic book publishers are determined to publish multiple titles for every fucking thing in the world as though it's still the 1990s, okay? So this, again, is the type of thing that needs to change. Guys... This is going to be no small amount of pain and bloodletting for some of you. I get that. But things in this, in, in this industry have got to change. And since we're talking about DC Comics, and since I'm more familiar with DC anyway, we're going to talk about that. One of the things that needs to happen is fewer titles overall. It's just that simple. There need to be fewer titles. And what that means is, Each character appears, except for team books, each character appears in no more than one title per month. And even there, some really hard decisions are going to have to be made. Yes, Superman can appear in Justice League. And yes, uh, Superman also needs to have his own monthly ongoing title. But which one is it going to be? Is it going to be the historic monthly Superman title? Or is it going to be the even more historic action comics? Which one? 
Which one is it, is it going to be, guys? Hard decisions have got to be made. It's perfectly fine for Batman to appear in the Justice League, and it's perfectly fine for Batman to appear in his own ongoing monthly title. Robin, guys, I hate to say it, he's going to need to consign all of his appearances, if any, to Batman's monthly title and maybe the occasional appearance in the Justice League title. Hard decisions have got to be made. The Green Lantern Corps. I realize that there's an entire fucking core to work with, but number one, the most recognizable member of that core is, was, and will always be Hal Jordan. So Hal Jordan gets to come back. He has to come back, really. And there can only be one Green Lantern comic coming out every single month. And guys, it's got to be Hal Jordan. Hard decisions have got to be made. <clears throat> the Flash is, I think, at, at its best, The Flash is really a, a book about a family of speedsters. But, and you know what, that's, I, I, I'd even go so far as to say that's totally fine. But it's like anything, there needs to be focus on one particular character. And here you may actually have a, a tiny little bit more flexibility because Wally West is so beloved as The Flash that I think you probably could get away with uh, bringing him back and installing him as the Flash. You know, the Flash, not just a Flash, the Flash. Now, Barry, especially lately, has gotten a lot of new fans. And they may not take kindly to seeing Wally put back into the monthly book. But guys, hard decisions have got to be made. The list... It goes on and on and on. But the fact is, this, this idea of having three Batman titles and three Superman titles and uh, maybe three or four Justice League titles and all of this shit, guys, those days have got to fucking be over. DC Comics, they need to do whatever they need to do to get their entire monthly output under the cost of $30 per month. That's what has to happen. And honestly, even that's a starting point. Even that, even that $30 number may have to go down. But here's the thing. Their entire monthly output cannot cost more than $30. Just because, guys, we live in a shit economy right now. And nobody wants to spend as much money as it would take to, work, to collect the entire DC universe without getting something really fucking substantial from it. And right now, they're not. So the total cost needs to drop. It's as simple as that. DC Comics, as an institution, is going to have to become leaner and meaner. It may even be that it's not as profitable as it used to be. Hard decisions have got to be made. Another thing that, that, that needs to be done is the tone of stories needs to change. I personally don't know anybody who's comfortable with the amount of violence and bloodshed that is just a commonplace factor in so many comics. Comics need to strive to be PG-13. Hell, I would even go so far as to say they need to strive to be PG. Because ultimately, your real market is new readers. And I don't mean assholes who bought movie tickets. I mean people who are just out of fucking diapers. All right, That's your new market. 
right? And you need to reach that market by any means necessary. Children are interested in comics inherently on some level or another. I've seen it way too many times where, where kids are fascinated with comics. They simply don't fucking understand comics, right? They hold a comic book in their hand. They don't know what the fuck to do with it. So the tone of these things needs to be more age appropriate. I realize that means that there's going to be less bloodshed and probably less swearing and stuff. That means you're going to have to start putting approved by the Comics Code Authority back on your covers. Hard decisions have got to be made. The other thing is, the way comics are drawn, the way stories are told in comics, these things need to change, both on the macro level and on the micro level. Now, I'll deal with the micro level to, to begin with. You buy a comic book, and it's part two of some six-part story, and the way that it is right now, the way that comic book pages are laid out, there's basically no border on the page. The entire page is filled up with art. And unless you've been, unless you're really familiar with the language of telling stories and comics, you're not going to know. You'll know to read page one before you read page two, but you won't necessarily know which order to read the panels on page two. That's got to change. It needs to be simplified. I would recommend going back to more of a grid type of storytelling pattern that you saw in uh, old Silver Age comics and Bronze Age comics, most famously possibly in, in Watchmen. That's what's easiest for people to read. Hard decisions have got to be made. The other thing that needs to change is, on a macro level, the way that stories are told, is that guys... These five-part stories that, that uh, comic book writers seem to have such a fucking boner for, I'm sorry, they're not that important. I know the writers all think they are. They all think they're fucking Alan Moore. They're not. They never have been. They never will be. Comic book writers should be given four issues every year where they're allowed to tell two-part stories. That's it. Everything else needs to be a done-in-one storyline, a self-contained book that anybody can pick up and read. And maybe they don't follow the continuity, but they at least get a full story from it with a beginning, a middle, and an end. All right? That may piss off the Brian Michael Bendises of, of, of comics, but guys, hate to say it, hard decisions have got to be made. These children are comics lifeblood. And for so many decades now, the comic book publishers have, have published, forgive me, shit comics, tried marketing those shit comics to children, and then been shocked when children haven't bought shit comics. The thinking seems to be, well, I guess children don't like comics. No, children want to want to like comics. They want to read comics. They're interested in comics. You need to give them comics that are worth their fucking time and appropriate for their age. Hard decisions have got to be made, people. Moving on, in terms of style and substance, guys, I realize this may offend some of you, but we're talking about the survival of the industry here, and I'm sorry, that has got to transcend ideology. All right? The fact is, right now, the big favorite trick of all of the different comic book companies is for, I think as much as anything, partly for shock value, is replacing a traditionally white character 
with some with a, a character that is something other than white. All right, and people can say that you know that you know the resistance to that, the outrage that some people have is racist, and you know what? Maybe it is. But the fact of the matter is, it's just a cheap stunt intended to wring as much possible controversy out of something that, let's face it, doesn't really offend anybody. The opposition a lot of people have to putting minorities in, in place of marquee superhero characters is the implicit message being communicated that these minorities are only interesting if you call them Batman or Captain America or Spider-Man or Superman or whoever. You know, there's no way that that comic book audiences are going to be interested in minorities unless they're a Green Lantern. And guys, you know what? I realize this may be a, a offensive to some of you and I'm, I'm sorry if it is. Fucking hard decisions have got to be made. Do you want this comic to sell and be successful every month? Well then, put the character in, in that comic who's been traditionally the most successful. And guys, if that means having to kick somebody who isn't white out of that position, you know what? I'm sorry. Fucking hard decisions have got to be made, baby. And this is one of them, right? I don't think that the opposition to this is so much racial, or at least it's not... It's not that people are so much determined to see white people in, uh, you know, in these roles so much as it is that if you're going to have a character in these comics and that character is going to be minority then to me that per that that character needs to be able to stand on his own two feet and a good example of what i'm talking about here is gangbuster you know he's one of my favorite characters in all of comics and not just because of the fact that he's latino but i think that character is better jose delgado is better for being gangbuster as opposed to being the guardian as was originally intended and i think it's it works better not just for the story it actually works better for the character to be gangbuster and i suspect a lot of people feel the same way my guess is that the majority of people who enjoy jose delgado as a character wouldn't trade him being gangbuster for anything. Hard decisions have got to be made, guys. The other thing is the price of comics has got to come down. And that's been that's been something that it, it, it's it's been very challenging for the comic book industry to do that. You know, circulation it is what it is. And the only way that they can actually stay solvent is if they raise those cover prices. So before, they were a dollar. Now they're a dollar fifty. Then they were a dollar seventy-five. Then they were a dollar ninety-five. Then they were two twenty-five. Then they were two fifty. On and on and on and on. And it's actually very much getting to the point, guys, where a single issue of one comic book could very well set you back four ninety-nine. Alright? Now, guys, I can't speak for anybody else, but on simple, avowed fucking principle, I am not going to spend $5 for one comic book. It's just fucking not going to happen. All right? 
So, what needs to change is that cover price has got to come down. I don't give a flying fuck what DC has to do to make that happen. They need to make that happen. You know, um, simpler coloring processes might do it. Um, they may have to publish fewer pages per comic book. They may have to publish 18 rather than 22. They may have to publish 16 rather than 18 or, or fucking whatever it's going to be. Um, they may, guys, they're just, they're going to have to fucking figure out something. Okay. Because if we know nothing else, we know that the way that they're doing things doesn't fucking work. All right. They may even have to sell at a loss for a little while until they can get their equilibrium back. Okay. They may have to, uh, sell more ads, right? Open up, uh, basically put more pages into their comics so that they can get more ad revenue out of it. Fucking, I don't know. Okay. But all I know for sure is that hard decisions are going to have to be made here. Okay. It's just that simple. Another thing is the accessibility of comics. The way that it is right now, you can order your comics online or for the most part, you can get them in a comic book store. That's basically it. The reason for that is because it's harder to find um, uh, comics in other retail places. It's just tough. Uh, Toys R Us is one of the few that I can think of off the top of my head that actually stocks comics. All right, now, guys, Warner Brothers owns publishing uh, divisions. Okay, Time Warner Books. Well, let me rephrase that. Warner Brothers doesn't own it. Time Warner Publishing is actually one of the sister companies, but fucking you understand what I'm saying. So they've already got inroads in, it, you know, in the publishing world. Why it is that they're not taking advantage of that, I have no fucking idea. I really don't. All right, but there are, there's got to be a way to expand their distribution such that what they're losing in terms of per widget uh, margin, they're making up with volume. They need to figure out a way to fucking do that, because guys, some hard fucking decisions have got to be made. And that's one of them. So, all together, what we need are <clears throat> comics that are more affordable, more age-appropriate, more fundamentally accessible, from a storytelling standpoint, <clears throat> they're, <clears throat> they're more accessible just from a consumer standpoint of being able to find the goddamn things. And honestly, when you come right down to it, are just fucking less offensive to people, okay? Because, guys, you know what I'm talking about here. Half the ideological bullshit that people put in comics, guys, I'm sorry, that's offensive to some people, okay? You can call those people whatever names you want, but their money is just as green as anybody else's. And pissing off, intentionally pissing off, a key segment of your comic book buying marketplace, just so you can score ideological points that very frankly nobody gives two fucks about, is demonstrably not a success, a, a, a not, not a successful uh, recipe for uh, long-term profits, okay? I hate to say it, but some of the extremists who are in the comic book industry and writing these stories need a nice warm glass of shut the fuck up, okay? That is not to speak of my 
uh, of my own views of those more controversial issues that I'm not naming, but you all know what I'm talking about. I'm not commenting on that personally. I'm simply saying that a lot of other people are, com are, are commenting on that. And they don't take kindly to what they perceive as escapist entertainment being hijacked for purposes of politi uh, political ideology. And you know what? Nobody can argue that's not what's happening here. You know? All in all, a lot of hard decisions have got to be made. Things have got to change. And the way that we've been doing things, I say we, as if those of us who are listening to this podcast have any kind of blame for this. <clears throat> so let me just clarify on that. The way that DC has been doing things is clearly not a successful approach. Now, I've outlined a couple of ideas, things that I think might work and lead things in a more um, positive direction. But end of the day, guys, something's got to give. And I don't think that... I don't think that photocopying the movies and their tone and their style and their approach to doing things is necessarily going to photocopy their success. Because so far it hasn't. So, anyway, that is basically all I really had to say about all of this. So, what I'm going to do is just take a break. And when I get back in the next segment, we're going to talk about your thoughts on this subject. I'm Gene Hendricks. You may remember me from such shows as The Hammer Podcast and The Quantum Cast. I'd like to tell you about some special shows that I'm doing with some of your favorite podcasters. These shows are all about the live-action versions of comic book characters, and I'm calling them... Legends of the Superheroes! In each episode, we'll be looking at a different TV show or movie featuring characters like... Dr. David Banner. And let's not forget about the non-superheroes, such as... Swamp Thing! Captain William Buck Rogers. And many more. Look for the Legends of the Superheroes specials under the Hammer Podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Okay, I'm back now and continuing my little discussion here about this latest DC Comics relaunch. And basically what I did was I tossed something up on the Facebook group page and it went a little something something like this. I'm doing an episode about this and I linked to this Bleeding Cool article that has sort of spawned this entire discussion. I wrote, I'm doing an episode about this, 
Read the article and send me your thoughts. You can comment here, or you can email me at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Also, you can type up your reply, or if you want, you can record it as a wave or MP3 and email that to me. And just sort of as a preliminary, it looks like this thing is already going a little bit crazy here. Tom Panarese rather verbosely said, Meh. Mike Zumo asked if it would be okay for him to swear, and indeed, I told him that it is because... <sighs> Fuck shit, cunt, piss, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. John M. Wilson said, My thoughts. It's a bunch of issue number ones. Nothing about a continuity reboot, which seems to be a common error. And Marvel has a bunch of issue ones every other Thursday. It's not a thing beyond the fact that periodic shots in the creativity arm seem to work for them when coupled with a large publishing initiative, to which I reply, John, you may end up being absolutely right about that. But the Bleeding Cool article that sort of started all of this basically said not only would there be a shitload of number ones coming out of all of this, but specifically all th this relaunch was basically intended to bring shit more in line with the movies, and I think it would be a reasonable extrapolation from that article that there's going to be a continuity tweak or two that we should just expect as a matter of course. And, you know, look, the fact is, I'm kind of to the point now. When I say I'm to the point now, it's more that I've been at the point since the New 52 where... I just don't trust DC Comics anymore to establish a continuity and then stick with it. I mean, yeah, there's a very strong argument that DC's entire history is basically a series of retcons and reboots, and there may be a germ of truth to that, but honestly, you know, the Silver Age, it has to be something separate from the Golden Age just because of the fact that they relaunched Green Lantern, they relaunched The Flash, so on and so forth. So they really, I mean, that was kind of foisted upon them. Now, true, they, you know, they had, it was really their decision, put it that way. But at the end of the day, I think it would be fair to say that that was something that they, they basically had to play the ball where it lay, as far as that's concerned. So you've got the Silver Age, and then the Bronze Age, which is basically a continuation of the Silver Age continuity in many cases, just with a bit more of a grounded and serious type of tone. But substantially, they are pretty much the same universe, you know? A good example is Superman. I mean, you know that the Bronze Age Superman has the events of the Silver Age as his backstory, but we just don't see the Legion of Super Pets. Does that make sense? I mean, we don't really get imaginary stories and all that stuff. It's still that continuity. It's just that the style that the stories are, t uh, are, are being told, that's what's changed. But the continuity itself, the, the character's history, remains unchanged. 
So basically that works out to something like a 15 or 16 year stretch of time where DC, when most people think of pre-crisis DC, basically 1958 to about, oh golly, 1986 or so is really what they're talking about. It's actually, it's, it's a lot more than 15 or 20 years. I mean, at that point, you're closing in closer to like 30 years. So that's a pretty decent stretch of time. And then Crisis on Infinite Earths happens, and that resets the continuity. And honestly, I don't think Crisis on Infinite Earths went off as smoothly as it might have, simply because a lot of editors didn't want to reboot. And so they invented excuses not to do it. Like, Paul Levitz, I mean, no one was going to tell him what's what with Legion of Superheroes. And the list just goes on, you know? So, I guess all around, you could view the problems that ensued after Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's because DC didn't fully reboot. Yeah, they rebooted Superman, and they kind of gave a warm reboot to the Legion. But a lot of characters never really had that solid beginning point. And then on top of all of that, Crisis itself, rather than being the end of the post, or, or rather the end of the pre-crisis DC, is sort of this weird fucked up bridge between pre-crisis and post-crisis, by virtue of the fact that Wally West remembered the events of the crisis, he remembered Barry Allen dying and all of these other things, and honestly, I mean, as good a story as Crisis on Infinite Earths is, the aftermath of it is fairly described as a complete fuck-up. Now, I, again, I don't blame that on Crisis on Infinite Earths. I don't blame that on, any, on anybody who was involved with Crisis on Infinite Earths. I'm just saying that there's really no denying that's what happened. So, as an attempt to kind of fix all of that, we had Zero Hour, and we can debate amongst ourselves how good a job Zero Hour really did at fixing those things. I mean, I think it... I don't care what anybody says. I think it worked ultimately to the benefit of the Legion of Superheroes, if nothing else. Hawkman, there's another one. So, and I guess my point is, you know, problems and stuff ensued from, from Crisis, but I do think it would be fair to say that Crisis more or less succeeded in what it set out to do in terms of giving giving us a sort of a unified universe. That sounds a little redundant somehow. A unified universe. But whatever. A unified universe. And so we had this that leads us neatly or not, that leads us into zero hour. And then for no real reason we get infinite crisis. Now I'm not aware of anybody saying that the post-zero-hour DC universe was just a complete clusterfuck. It was a total mess. Nothing good came out of it. You know, fucking blah, blah, blah. If anybody's out there saying that, I have never heard from this person, right? So, what I think is driven primarily by nostalgia and the need to have some kind of a fucking event, here comes Infinite Crisis, and then here comes Flashpoint. Now here comes, let's tie all the shit into the movies, and honestly, I mean, to me, like I said in the last segment, that's basically everything that's been wrong with comics up to this point. So, and the way that it is right now, Infinite Crisis, 
I wouldn't go so far as to call that a reboot because explicitly it wasn't. It was a retcon. But I wouldn't... For, for as necessary as Infinite Crisis was or wasn't, we once again had a, a sort of a shiny, happy, kind of new DC universe with which to to collect and follow and all of this. And, you know, people can, lo- can like those stories or they can not like them, but you know what? Damn it, at least we had it. And then here comes Flashpoint, which for... I can't say no apparent reason, because apparently sales really were that bad at DC that somebody decided, you know what, it's time for the new 52. But it, if you were just getting in to Superman, you know, post-Infinite Crisis, and you were loving it, you were eating this thing up with a spoon, this is the greatest thing you've ever read, and this is everything that you ever wanted from Superman. Well, I guess, number one, I feel sorry for you, but, you know, number two... You know, a lot of you guys were laughing at us, you know, uh, Burn Age fans, because we were kind of pissed off about the fact that, you know, all our years of collecting this character just got fucking nullified and you were laughing at us. Well, surprise, surprise, now it's your turn. And so there's now this new, supposedly, this new contingent that's big on, you know, the post new 52 universe and they're getting into it and they're loving it and now their shit's going away too and it you get to the point after a while where dc just has no credibility with you anymore that you don't trust them anymore and you know i look i can't speak for anybody else but i i find it very difficult to believe that i'll ever collect a a, uh, a new legion of superheroes book Just because that book has been rebooted so fucking many times now that I truly don't trust DC anymore that, you know, two or three years down the line, they're not just going to push the fucking reset button with it again. And, you know, all the time that I've spent up to that point buying these comics, collecting these comics, and getting into the story is basically going to get wiped away for whatever fucking retarded reason. Because Grant Morrison or some fucking guy wants to do a crossover and having a, a a clear picture of the future of the DC universe is going to fuck that up somehow. You know, just fuck you, you know, and that at least is where I'm coming from. So, you know what, guys, congratulations. You've poisoned the well for me, at least when it comes to Legion of Superheroes. I don't fucking trust you guys with that book anymore. You killed it for me. And I'm. Guys, it can only be a matter of time until DC reaches that kind of saturation point across their entire line. You know, how many how many among us truly trust that whatever comes next with Superman is still going to be here three years from now? I mean, honestly, guys, anyone who's listening to this and you think that whatever's going to happen with Superman over over the summer of 2016, if you think that's still going to be here come 2019, 2020, fucking write in, all right? Email me. I want to hear about that. And I want you to justify it too, you know, because history just is not on your side there, guys. So anyway, so John, look, I'm not trying to rant at you or anything like that. And, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not like pissed off or anything. I don't want you to feel like I'm bashing on you or insulting you or anything like that. Totally not what I'm trying to do here. But I do think that the people who are interpreting this as, well, look, we know DC doesn't have a reboot. So I know they don't have the, you know, they're not going to do that. But the people who are interpreting this as a retcon, which is all DC has the nuts to do. I think they kind of have a leg to stand on, you know? And actually, you know what? Since I'm on the subject, well, fuck it. Actually, you know what? I think somebody else is going to talk about reboots versus retcons. I want to let them have their say. But anyway, kind of move on from there. Mike Zumo, John Wilson, and then Brad Glenn kind of had this sort of back and forth with one another. And I think it's actually worth your time to, you know, go back to and read. Just check it out. And I think they all sort of make some interesting points here. And considering when this episode is coming out... Basically, what you're looking for is dated January the 22nd, if you want to dig back that far. Just check out their conversation and see for yourself. You know, they made... It's actually kind of a neat little conversation, and I don't think anybody's minds were changed, necessarily. But, you know, Zumo at least made the made the point that, you know what? I'd say not even... Ha- and, he, and they're basically talking here about a full-scale fucking reboot. Does that make sense? Not retcons or anything like that, relaunches. I mean a full-scale, scorched-earth, page-fucking-one reboot of DC where basically you've got a Batman in his first year, no Robin, no Dick Grayson, no Jason Todd, no Tim Drake, no Damian Wayne or any of that stupid fucking bullshit. Basically just everybody starting literally from day one and then just build out from there. And... You know, Zumo's point is is that he'd say, you know what, not even have any Robin to start with and let those things come into the story organically. And again, I think I think that idea's got a lot of disco potential to it. Then Doug Meacham saw everything that was going on and uh, he commented with, Your Excellency, my thoughts. Like any faithful DC fan, I'll bitch and moan and then still go out and buy the comics. It's the only true way to see if I'll like what they're doing, right? I just wonder if Batman and Green Lantern's continuity will still remain untouched, to which I have to say, probably fucking so, okay? DC has never had the balls to give Batman a complete and total reboot. It's never happened. The very closest that they've ever come is... Well, first, it was in 1987, I believe, with Batman Year One. And even that, you know, what we're supposed to infer from all of that is, you know, Batman still has a history, much of which is already in our comic book collections. It's only certain things that have changed. He's got a new origin and maybe a few other things have changed. But basically, we've seen this character's history. We know where he's coming from. And when the next issue starts up, we're supposed to interpret that this is the post-Year One Batman. And then, with Batman Zero Year, again, that's a retcon, you know? it The character's history, as we've understood it up to this point, is still... We're, we're still to infer that those things happened. It's just now we know the context from which this character is beginning. But DC has never had the balls to do a full-scale reboot with Batman simply because they like the idea of Oracle. They like the idea of Nightwing. They like the idea of Jason Todd, dead or alive. They like the idea of Red Hood, right? They like these things. And 
they like the idea to some degree or another of Tim Drake. And you know what, guys? I agree. Those are all badass ideas. But here's the thing. If you're not going to reboot, don't fucking reboot. But I'm sick and fucking tired of these retcons. You know? That, to me, is what's killing comics. It's definitely what's killing DC. Nobody knows what's what from one day to the next. And I think the lack of certainty is... I'm sorry, that's just no way to inspire loyalty among your readers. So, anyway. And it just pretty much just went on and on from there. So, um, I also invited people to send me an email. And already somebody has. Mike Zumo basically wanted to write in and just sort of expand on all the things that he that he posted on the Facebook thread about all of this. He says, uh, this is, the title of this is Possible DC Relaunch. Mike Zumo writes, so, DC is planning another relaunch. And what do I think? Are these people fucking kidding me? Look, I wasn't the biggest fan of the New 52 when it started. And I'm still not. I mean, Apart from Scott Snyder's run on Batman, the rest has been crap. Especially the Superman titles. Hell, I don't recognize the guy anymore, and he's supposed to be the greatest of them all. I'm going to put Mike's email... I'm just going to put it on hold here for just a sec and say, you know what? I've heard a lot of positive things about Scott Snyder's Batman. And, you know, I mean, I've read... uh, Let me think. It was Court of Owls, Night of... Was it Night of Owls? Was that the story? There were like two stories that have of owls at the end, and I'm pretty sure one was Court of Owls, and I think the other one was Night of Owls. There was also Zero Year and Death of the Family. I read those. And, you know, Court of Owls, basically anything to do with the owls, I actually kind of liked. Zero Year. I don't know why, but that just seemed very fan fiction-y to me. It's hard to say exactly what for that matter why but i don't know it's it's okay i guess for what it is but i mean look it's not as uh, fan fictioning as batman earth one that is fan fictioning but the there's something about zero year that i don't know i just i didn't buy it so as to death of, death of the Family, it's basically another story where the Joker comes along, causes all kinds of trouble, except now he's, he's doing things that are... Every story has to top whatever's come before, and Death of the Family is so fucking over the top. The Joker does so much. He, he goes so far in that story that I'm actually starting to think, you know what? Batman is now officially morally fucking derelict for not killing the Joker. I mean, when things have gotten this fucking bad, there is no good reason to not wipe this guy out, you know? And the fact is, DC's never going to do that because, let's face it, the Joker is kind of a cool character. You need him around. But... At this point, he's done so much that how does Batman justify not killing him anymore? Well, then we're no better than he is. Okay, great. Well, you know what? You're morally superior and people are still fucking dying. Way to go, asshole. I mean, I don't know, whatever. That's just always been the biggest crock of fucking bullshit. I, um, it, that just, it pisses me off to even talk about it, so I'm not going to. We're just going to move on.
Actually, first, before we move on, I'm going to get a sip off of my Dr. Pepper here because my throat is a little dry. Mind you, a lot of people will tell you that when you talk a lot and your throat starts getting dry, probably the worst thing you can do is drink anything carbonated, but fuck it, that's what I did. And since we're waiting, I'm also going to take a drag off of my e-cig here because, guys, I've been running my mouth now for... This is about 20 minutes, so... I think I've earned it. Just a second. Anyway, to get back into Mike's email, he writes, So, it shouldn't bother me that they're planning to scrap the whole thing, but my biggest fear is, what is gonna come next? It's no secret that the first thing Dan DiDio did when he became co-publisher of DC Comics was go in his office, drop his pants, and take a massive crap over everything that most of us love about the DCU. And apparently the stench was the stench was so bad that New York City's health department shuttered DC Comics as a public health hazard and banned them from the city. This is what happened. Don't buy that putting everything under one roof bullshit. As Synergy puts the fear of God into DC and its parent company, Time Warner. Anyway. Whether the New 52 is a good thing or not, the simple fact that they're going for another Ground Zero relaunch again shows a lack of commitment on the part of DC Comics. Dude, I'm putting your email on hold again. Fucking amen, all right? Because that's kind of, that's where I'm coming from with all of this. You know, number one, they're not committed. And if they're not committed, number two, why the fuck should I be committed? You know, I mean, why should I invest in their story and in their universe and all this other bullshit when... At the end of the day, it's not going to matter. You know, three years from now, some other asshole is going to come along and basically demand that we do yet another relaunch to stroke his ego. You know, fuck you. Why should I spend the time and the money on all of this when I have a better than average assurance that it's not going to go anywhere and it ultimately means nothing, nothing at all? I'm sorry. I'm just, there's no logical reason to do that. None whatsoever. Anyway, back to to Mike's email. I doubt there's anything wrong that can't be solved by making a commitment to writing better stories. Maybe aside from the Clarkless Superman, that is. I don't really see a way out of that. And my daughter wants to play Hungry Hungry Hippos. I'll have to pick this up later. Hungry, hungry hippos, and whoever gets the most marbles wins. Who will win? No one knows. Hungry, hungry hippos from Milton Bradley. Okay, back from hungry, hungry hippos, hide and seek, and crawling around on the floor like a beast of burden. Oh, the indignities of parenthood. Of course, in the time I was away, 
John M. Wilson postulated that this may not be a continuity reboot, but and but just giving people shiny new number ones. Ooh, shiny. Maybe, maybe not. But let's for argu for argument's sake, let's say this is a continuity reboot. If it is, I hope DC learned its lesson from the new 52 and will give everyone a ground zero reboot. Yes, Batman, that includes you. I'm sure everyone remembers Dan DiDio's five-year timeline in which Batman went through Robins like toilet paper. And I don't know what the hell's going on in the Green Lantern and Superman books these days, and I'm pretty sure the creative teams don't either. <laughs> uh, yeah, well... <laughs> dude, when, when, when you're right, you're right. <laughs> Honestly, look, I'm... And I, I'm putting Mike's email back on hold here. Look. My contention is... I don't think DC has really known what to do with Green Lantern ever since Jeff Johns packed up and called it a day with Hal Jordan. And, you know, we've got Simon Baz now because... You know what? There's nothing I can say there that's not going to offend somebody. So I'm just going to say, Simon Baz is a complete fucking crock of bullshit. You can impose upon that any agenda that you see fit. I don't even fucking care anymore. Anyway, to get back into Mike's email, though, he writes, Personally, I hope it isn't a Ground Zero reboot. If it is, it would be the third reboot. If you count the soft reboot that came with Infinite Crisis during Dan DiDio's Reign of Terror... This company doesn't need another reboot. It needs to focus on quality storytelling and getting its characters right. And if you want to retool the universe, that's fine. Nothing can exist for an extended period, period of time without adjustments along the way. Anyway, what DC does in June won't affect me much. I'll be sticking my nose back into the post-crisis and Bronze Ages, Bronze Ages very soon. I liked it there. Signed, Mike Zuma. And Mike, first of all, thank you for writing in. I'm not sure if anyone else is, is going to, but I mean, I think we've covered so much ground here. I thought, well, I mean, I there may be another couple of emails that come through in the next, you know, couple of hours or hell, who knows, maybe even a couple of days. And I figure I can just tackle those in a future episode. I just wanted to go ahead and get this knocked out right now. So, you know, your email came through just maybe a couple of, like, I want to say an hour or two before I sent this, or sent this, before. you sent this email maybe a, a, an hour or two before I started recording this new segment right here. So, like I say, if any other emails come in about this, I'll just toss those into a future episode, and hopefully it'll all make sense. But I just want to say thank you for taking the time to write in. It looks like you and I are just about equally animated about all of this. So... You know, my intention obviously is not, you know, is not and was not to upset you, but it looks like you got a little bit animated anyway, so whatever. Hopefully this was a nice little way to blow off some steam for you. Now, look, any of you guys have got something you want to say about all of this, either to reply to Mike or reply to anybody else on the Facebook page? Well, you can reply on the Facebook page, or you can send your thoughts in either written or recorded form to trentusmagnus at gmail.com so just send in your stuff there and I will read it on mic 
So that, I think, is pretty much that. Now, as it goes for next week, basically what's going to be happening is I'm going to be rejoined by Chris Honeywell for the Big Book Report. This is about the Big Book of Bad. And guys, this episode is going to be a serious fucking doozy. This thing is one of the longest single episodes that I have ever recorded. And the only reason I'm not splitting this thing up is because just from a logistical standpoint, there's really no way to do that. But when you guys see this ultra giant, mega size, super special deluxe edition of this episode, I just want you to keep in mind, logistics alone are going to be what make this episode as long as it is. So, because I've got a very serious feeling that he and I are going to talk about a lot of stuff. Anyway, so that's pretty much it for me this week, though. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars Story. Monthly at MyStarWarsStory.com Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at Trentus Magnus at gmail.com Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday and that's a promise Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows That's right Simply click the PayPal link donate any amount at all Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy. 
and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the 2 True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Do not remove this tag under penalty of law. All models are over the age of 18. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with DeMonzacore of Milan, Italy.